you today. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Okay. And Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter today. We'll see. It's only 15 verses. And in Acts chapter 6, something you have to keep in mind is uh, the word of the Lord is advancing. You know, it's growing. A lot of people are believing in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of fear. That, I mean, remember what happened in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. In, in chapter 5, verse 11 says, Great fear came upon all the church. There's the fear of the Lord. And the whole church body is in one accord. I'm going to make specific mention of these things. The church body in one accord. Because you see in the book of Acts, it's a different church. It's not like the church today. And I don't mean to denigrate the church body today. But it's not like the church today. The book of Acts. That's what's kind of, you know... People today, you know, we're so caught up in our social media, so caught up in our entertainment, so caught up in work, so caught up in this and that and this and that. But where is the quiet? Where is the quiet? Where is there to say, you know what, I know I could watch a two-hour movie. I know I could, you know, watch a one-hour show. I know I could watch, you know, Phineas and Ferb for 20 minutes. Which I like Phineas and Ferb. Or to just scratch that off the list and say, no, I'm going to be in my Bible. I'm going to be in the Word. And then after my time in the Word, I'm going to be on my face before the Lord. I want to be with Him. I want to be seeking His will for my life. Be selfish with the Lord. Lord, what is your will for my life? I want you more than anything. And he'll say, you know what? You know, I want to do this with you. But this one little thing I don't like. Yeah, you know what? I also want oneness with you, but there's a couple things that I don't like. Remember, Revelation 2 and 3, it's an exhortation to the church. Red letters where the Lord is saying, hey, you know, you guys are awesome in this. I love this and this and this. But this I have against you. He says, unless you repent, you need to repent or else I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. Those are red letters. You mean to tell me that my name can come out of the book of life? Yes. You mean to tell me that your name can come out of the book of life? Yes. Some people, famous authors will say otherwise. Certain people who have study Bibles will say otherwise. But that's what the word of God says. Red letters. Names can come in the book of life. Names can come out of the book of life. And you see the church. You see the apostles. You see Christians. They don't play games with these. The, the world. It's not like, you know, hey, I have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That's called division. That's a house divided. A house divided cannot stand. Where is it that you're going to put your stake in the ground? Where is it that we as a church body are going to put our stakes in the ground? 
And say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, you know what? My friends are doing this. You know, they're watching these movies. They're going to these shows. They're going to these cities. They're visiting this. They're doing this. I look at their social media. They're having all kinds of fun. But who is it that's going to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? If that doesn't mean I can't hang out with these people and do crack, so be it. If that means that I can't hang out with these people and do whatever, so be it. Remember, the last days are going to be like the days of Noah. People eating and drinking and getting married. Everything's fine and dandy, but it's all fun and games. Until the music stops. It's all fun and games. Remember, Noah... Imagine the people. It's not really captured in scripture. But I mean, you could just picture it in your mind. What is this guy doing? Why is he building a boat? Why didn't he do it over there where the ocean was? And it's not just a little boat to go fishing. Why is he building this big old thing? Like what in the world? And there he goes, Noah, every day, wake up in the morning, there he goes. His son's working with him, the wives helping them out, they're doing all these things, and it's like, what is, what in the world is happening? I can understand a little fishing boat. Then you have to drag the boat to the ocean. I get it, it's not really logical, but I get it. They can carry the boat, they're able-bodied. But this big old boat, a preacher of righteousness. Noah, why are you doing that? Why are you building that boat? Come hang out with us. We're going to go to the bars. We're going to go drinking. We're going to have so, so much fun. And Noah put his stake in the ground. Nope, I'm not doing that, guys. You know, maybe you want to help me out. Ah, so stupid. Look at the multitude are over here, and there's Noah and his dumb family over there. What idiots, so stupid. And then they're drinking it up, yunk, yucking it up, laughing. Did you see what Noah did today? Did you hear what he said? What an idiot. It's all fun and games until the rain came. And then the rain came, the rain came, the rain came, the flood came. I mean, imagine swimming. You can swim for like 30 minutes, stay afloat for an hour. But who can swim for a month? A bunch of dead bodies floating in the ocean. It's all fun and games until the rains come. Well, I tell you the truth, the rains are coming again. And the Lord has spoken to the godly to say, hey, build an ark. And the ark is his son. It's to say, get in the boat. It might not be raining now, but the rains are coming. That's what's so beautiful about this church in the book of Acts. They don't play games. They're sold out to the Lord. And so I love it because these religious leaders, the religious establishment, they said, don't you dare teach in the name of the Lord. Don't you dare speak this name. 
And then look what happens in chapter 5, verse 42. And daily in the temple, daily. And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They didn't cease. Man says, hey, cease, cut it out. They were like, no way. We're going to keep teaching. We're going to keep preaching Jesus as the Christ. And not just Sunday, not just Wednesday, daily. We'll do it at the temple. We'll do it at this particular place. But then we're also going to go house to house. Teaching and preaching. It's like urban combat, you know. Mount military operations in urban terrain. House to house. And we have our weapons of warfare, which are spiritual. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. Disciples. Mathetes in the Greek means a learner, a pupil, a disciple. It's not, you know, go and make converts. It's not a sales pitch, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make disciples, the pupils, the learners. Who are the ones who will apply discipline to their lives? And say, no, I want to be under the tutelage of the Lord. I want to learn from the holy word of God. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, you see the Lord is increasing in number of the church body. You know what I just realized? I didn't turn on the heater. You guys are cold. Are you guys cold? You're not cold? Okay. Liz, Liz does that, you know. I just... <laughs> okay. Where were we? Let's just start all over again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So the number of disciples was multiplying and there arose a complaint. So you see church drama now. I lo- it's so beautiful. You see this, tr- I mean, not the drama. You know, I think the Lord has a sense of humor because it's like, you know, I hate drama. I can't stand drama. I can't stand it so much. I mean, there, there are certain things in life that it's like, okay, this is tolerable. I can tolerate this. I can tolerate that. But then there's very minute few. It's like, I can't stand this. One of those things is drama. And the Lord has a sense of humor. Okay, you don't like drama? You're going to be a pastor. Okay, that's the sense of humor that the Lord has. There arose a complaint. Church drama. It's This complaint translates as grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. It's just, just like what was in the Old Testament. You remember the people of God murmuring and complaining? Oh, you know, we just... I like Egypt so much when I can eat my steak, I can eat my ribeye, I can eat beautiful, beautiful mashed potatoes, and all these things. Oh, but don't forget, you were also under slavery. Here you are free. And so the Lord gave them manna from heaven. And then what happened? They started complaining about the manna. All we have is this manna. And then the Lord gave them meat. The Lord gave them quail. So there's this drama, this church complaint, grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. So, for example, I'm Peruvian. And so I'm Peruvian. You know, if I were in Peru, I would kind of, I wouldn't be second class. Well, maybe I would be second class, but I don't speak Spanish very well. It'd be like speaking to a third grader, maybe. Because, you know, like if Liz were there, she could speak like crazy. 
because she's very, very fluent, fluent in Spanish. Except her dialecta is different. It's South America in, in uh, uh, um, uh, where's my wife from again? El Salvador. <laughs> it's like El Salvador, you know, so they have a different dialect. It's still Spanish, but it's a different dialect. And then like you have uh, in Peru, it's more from Spain, you know, it's more that like European type of Spanish. And so they would know, wow, she's not, you know, she's not Peruvian, you know. And so it's, we would kind of be like, you know, thought differently of, you know, here I am, I'm Peruvian, but I don't speak Spanish. And here Liz is, she's Spanish, but she doesn't even speak, you know, our form of Spanish. And so we kind of be second class. And that's what was happening here in the church. You have the Hebrews, the Jewish people who were Christians, because remember, the Lord says, go and share the good news to the Jew first. And then this door to the Jews, it started to close. It started to close and the Lord tells Peter, not yet. He tells Peter and he tells Paul, hey, go and share the good news with the Gentiles. And this promise to the Gentile, this mission for the Gentiles, it's still alive today. But this door, it's closing again. It's closing again. In the last days, it's going to close again. And then the focus is going to go on the Jews. That's when you get into Revelation type stuff. The 144,000. That's when the Antichrist is going to come against the Jewish people and try to kill them. The Lord's going to protect them. And then the Antichrist, indwelt by Satan, is going to try and kill the Christians. And he will kill Christians. Are you sure it's not? I'm going to turn on the heater. It was really cold. It was lower than the night level. Okay. Watch us all get sick. Liz, what happened? Oh, I forgot to turn on the heater. <laughs> Let me delete that so she doesn't know. Okay. So, um, so there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. They thought, oh, we're, we're a Hebrew, you know, we're like the hardcore Jews. You don't even speak our language. You speak the Greek. You know, you're more culturally aligned with the Grecians. This is the Greek culture. So you're not hardcore like us. And here's the reason why. It says, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. You see, so you have these Hellenists who were Greek-speaking Jews, and they were more assimilated to Greek culture, more assimilated to the, you know, the, uh, I should say, Roman slash Greek culture, more assimilated to, you know, in, in their language, the, the Greek-speaking Jews. And they would say, okay, you know, so because they were neglected in the daily distribution, that's what was the beef, what the beef was. So in my Peruvian example, Say Liz and I, you know, we're, we're in Peru, we're treated as second class citizens because, you know, my Spanish is, you know, my Spanish is weird. It's like, because I had Mexican friends, Peruvian friends, friends from Guatemala, from El Salvador. So my Spanish is like all over the place. And so, and, and not only that, but it's like second grade level, third grade level. So we're in Peru, we're treated as second class citizens and say we're in the church and there's these rich people who are selling their properties and giving 100% of their proceeds to the church. There were two people, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, also Peruvian, 
who said that they sold all their pro sold property and gave all the proceeds to the church, but the Lord took their lives because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so there's great fear coming upon the church, but still we're in Peru. And because I don't speak that much Spanish and because Liz doesn't speak Peruvian Spanish, we're second class and in this, we're in line to receive distribution. And then they neglect us. They pass over us because of our language, because we're treated as second class citizens. That's what was happening here in verse one. Except it was happening upon the widows who were neglected. Remember, like a widow now is like, it's, I mean, it, it, it stinks that she's a widow. But a widow now here in Western culture in the United States of America, even if the husband is a bread earner, man, all she has to do is go to like to a state website, go to the state website and say, yeah, I'm a widow. I don't have this anymore. My income is nothing. And then all of a sudden they get all these government proceeds, government health plan, government food stamps, government this and the wife. Oh, yeah, I have uh, four kids. More money, I get this. Oh, and my, my housing allowance, I have this, this, zero income. My housing allowance is X amount of dollars. I have more kids, more money. I get to live over here for free. But back then, a widow, when the husband, the bread earner was dead, what happened to that widow? What in the world happened to that widow? And here are these widows who are Hellenists, they're Greek-speaking Jews, they were neglected. So there's all these proceeds that, you know, are given to the Lord. All this money, it's like, oh, you're a Hellenist? I'm going to skip you and give these to the Hebrews. There was favoritism arising in the church. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're male, female, Jew, Gentile. He doesn't care if you're buff, if you're tiny. He doesn't care if you're ugly, if you're pretty, if you're skinny, if you're fat. He doesn't care about any of those things. He is no respecter of persons. And I tell you the truth, for the young people in this fellowship, there is nothing more beautiful there is nothing more breathtaking. There is nothing more gorgeous than righteousness. Nothing. Nothing. The beauty of righteousness, it's so... We're about to see such a person in a little bit by the name of Stephen. I cannot wait to see Stephen. I cannot wait. Another one of my heroes... It's so beautiful what happens here. I mean, you see this carnal nature arising inside the church. A little church drama, grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. And they have this issue. In verse 2, then the 12, then, then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, this is a big deal because it's like, okay, remember too that, you know, the, uh, the 12 became 11 because Judas hung himself. You know, he believed the voice of Satan. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. But then you remember in chapter one, there was Matthias who was, who replaced him. So there's 12 disciples now or 12 apostles, disciples, 
you know, became apostles. If you ever wonder, you know, what's the difference between a disciple and apostle? A disciple is the learner, the student. The apostle is the, you know, former disciple who is now sent on the, on the, on the mission. The messenger. Apostle translates as messenger. So it'd be like, you know, if you go to school to, you know, uh, be a doctor, you know, you go to brain surgeon, you know, you're a pupil in your 20s and 25, 26, 27, you know, I don't know how long you're, you're a pupil. But then you go into, you know, you do your residency, you go to this hospital, you're actual a surgeon now, you wear the coat, you have the stethoscope, I don't know what it's involved, but you're actually doing it. That's the difference between the disciple and the apostle. The, decide, the apostles are former disciples who are not the Lord is saying, okay, now I'm going to use you. I've taught you, now I'm going to use you. I've taught you, now I'm going to send you. He does the same thing with you and me today. I've taught you, you've learned, you've been a disciple, now I want to use you. Now I want to use you for this ministry, this ministry, that ministry. What? Remember, the manifold grace of God. You know, you open a hood and it's like, what are, what are these little pipes coming out here? The manifold. One body, many parts. The manifold grace of God. So this issue arose. The Hellenists, they, the, the, the widows weren't getting di- di- their distribution. It's like, man, you know, what's a widow going to do? No husband to bring home a paycheck. How am I going to get the groceries? How am I going to pay for food? Remember, it's not Western culture. It's 2,000 years ago in a different culture. She can't apply for food stamps. She can't apply for, you know, Apple Health. She can't apply for this, that, this, Section 8 housing. What in the world is she going to do? And she's being neglected. So they they hit the 12. What do we do? And this is... So beautiful. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's like, whoa. This is pretty hardcore. The twelve apostles, the ones who are now sent by the Lord to share the good news, to go and make disciples, is saying, you know what, guys? It's not desirable that we should do that. It's not desirable, it's not pleasing, and it's not fit that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Because the disciples, who are now apostles, they knew their ministry. They knew their calling. They're called to teach and make disciples. You know, people today would hear that. Here are these disciples and they're saying, it's not desirable to go and serve tables. That's so mean. How could you even say that? That's so mean that you say that. But it's not mean. In your heart of hearts, in your mind of minds, kind of like with our communion service, when you deny self and align yourself with the Lord He will teach you things. 
and you're learning and learning and learning and learning. And then all of a sudden he's going to say, tap at the door of your heart. He doesn't even have to tap at the door. He's already inside. And he says, you know what? I want you to do something for me. I want you to do this. These people, the apostles, they knew what the Lord wanted for them. Imagine the people today. You have to tend. Matthias, Peter, you have to tend to the people. You have to tend to my needs. You have to tend to me. And I, something that I think is so beautiful. I never, never really said this to anybody. But in John chapter uh, uh, 21, you know, when uh, uh, Peter, he jumps out of the boat and swims off to the shore to be with the Lord. And then they have a meal and then they're taking a little walk. And, you know, Peter and the Lord are having a private conversation. John is, you know, to the side a little bit. When Peter's like, what about that guy over there? And the Lord's like, don't worry about him. I'm talking to you, Peter. But Jesus said to Peter, he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. In the Greek, it's poimaino, moi probaton, bosco, mu probaton, bosco, mu arpaion. You say, well, okay, I don't get that. What does that mean? It's the act of feeding a lamb. A lamb is a sheep that, you know, a lamb is a baby sheep. It's the act of feeding a lamb. But it's also the act of shepherding either a lamb or a sheep, but it's through the idea of moving. It's like, say, for example, if you have a little flock and you take this grain and you feed it to the flock and then the flock comes and then they eat. And then you want to go from point A to point B. And you think, man, there's this flock. How am I going to get these? You tie them up? No, you don't do that. What do you do? You take some of the, the grain. You hold it in your hand. And you, you kind of lure. It's like a little lure. And they eat. You know, you take a couple stabs. Let them eat. Lamb, sheep. You let them eat. And you go from point A to point B. But the whole time, it's feeding That's how I see. That's how I interpret that. Because people today, they would say, I mean, imagine that. Like, say, for example, I'm a pastor. Let's just say, say, for example. But I mean, say, like, uh, so I'm a pastor. And there's this need that arises in the church. Hey, imagine how abrasive to the ears it is. Hey, guys, it's not desirable that I should go and do that. It's abrasive to the ears. It's not fitting that I should go do that. It's like, what is he saying? I don't get it. Because, you know, the Lord says, Jay, I want you to teach my word. And so, you know, I tell you, you know, there's the best place on. I've been in some really nice places before. But what I love the most is when I'm right here teaching the word. It's like a puzzle piece. Have you ever put a puzzle together? And it's like, man, you know, I can't find this piece. I can't find this piece. And then finally, as you're putting the sides and all the peripherals together, you see this one little piece. And in your mind, you're like, 
that's the one. I think that's the one. And then you pick it up. And sure enough, the size, the corners, the line, the straight line, it looks like it's it. And you're kind of excited. And then you put it right in and it's like, like butter. It's just like right in the hole. It's perfect. And there's that, wow, you know, that's awesome. But that's how I feel when I'm right here teaching the word. Perfect. I don't wonder. I used to wonder, what's the will of the Lord? I've talked to people, elders, pastors, ministry leaders. How do you know you're in the will of the Lord? And they all said, oh, this. They all said that. They all said this. If somebody were to ask me, what's the will of the Lord? How do I know the will of the Lord? And when somebody asks me, I say, wait. Just wait. They come back again a month later. Hey, Jay, how do you know the will of the Lord? I don't know. I want to know. Wait, brother. Wait, sister. And then, you know, five years later, they come back. You know what, Jay? I used to ask you, you know, what's the will of the Lord? I don't have to ask you anymore. It's like, okay. Praise the Lord. Because when the Lord speaks, all doubt, all questions, they cease, they go away. You know. That's why the apostles here are saying, hey, you know what, guys? It's not desirable. It's not fitting that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not to say, oh, I'm better than that. It's not that at all. It's to say, the Lord called me to teach. The Lord called me to preach. That's what these apostles are saying. The exact same thing. Picture you're having car problems. And say, for example, you know, like, say I'm the driver of a car and I'm having car issues and you're in the seat next to me. And you're in the seat next to me and you know everything there is to about, about cars. And I don't. And all of a sudden the car stops. And so the car stops, I get out, open up the hood, you get out and you come and look. And I say, hmm, interesting. You see this little thing right here? I think that's called like maybe uh, the starter. And you see this thing over here? I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think that's called the voltage regulator. I think I'm going to swap them out. I'm going to take this out of here. I'm going to put it in here. I'm going to take this over here, and I'm going to put it over here. And then let's see what happens. A stupid person? A non-learned person? Would say, oh, yeah, it might work. It might work. Let's do it like that. But because you're learned, you're an expert mechanic, you're like, no way. That's not going to work. That specific item is a function that needs to be right here. This other item is a function that needs to be right here. And this is how it works because you know these things. Maybe you've tried it and maybe you failed and you've learned. Or maybe somebody taught you. Either way, you were a student. You were a pupil. And you've learned these things now. That's what the apostles are saying. 
It's not fitting that I should do that. They know their function. He says this in verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you. It says inside the church body now. This is the solution that the apostles give to the body. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. This is, you know, if you have your Bibles here today, underline this. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Because the reputation here, it's a witness. A good witness. What is your witness? A lot of times people don't think about their witness. People don't think about their reputation before the Lord. There's a saying, a reputation precedes you. There's that, you know, famous saying, a reputation precedes you. I mean, do you know people in your life where it's like, you know, this person's coming to see you and it's like, ah, man. I don't want him to come see me. I don't want her to come see me. I don't even like hanging out with this person. Because their reputation precedes them. But what about when it's righteous? I can't wait to see this guy. I haven't seen him forever. And I love this guy so much. He ministers to me. He ministers to everybody. And I was like, man, I can't wait to see this guy. That's a good witness, a good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That's what the apostles are saying. Hey, it's not desirable that we should go and serve tables, but this is what we want you to do. Take these men. Look, you know, seek out these men from inside the church body. The ones who have a good reputation that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. These three things are a beautiful, beautiful recipe for ministry. For ministry. It's not like, hey, you know, we have this need in the body. Hey, you crackhead, go do that. Hey, you, you know, whoever it is, you know, oh, you're on your fifth marriage now. Why don't you go do this? It doesn't work. That's the same way as opening up the hood and saying, I'm going to take this, the starter. I'm going to remove it and put it where this voltage regulator is. And I'm taking the voltage regulator. I'm going to put it in the starter and see what happens. You're not going to move. You might have a beautiful, beautiful car all buffed out, nice painted, shiny, everything chromed out, just cherried out like crazy. But you're not moving. You're not going anywhere. That's what happens today. A good witness, a good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint or ordain over this business. You see, this ministry opportunity is arising in the church. And I don't say this joyfully. But I'll tell you what a common recipe is today inside of a carnal church. They take people with a poor witness. They take people who are full of self. And they take people who are stupid. The exact opposite of what is in verse 3. Poor witness, full of self, and stupid. 
I'll tell you guys a little story. A guy one time says, you know what, Jay, you spend all this time saying, you know, teaching us these things. You spend all this time, but you know what? I'm going to give you some counsel. I'm going to impart wisdom unto you. And anytime, I don't say this boastfully. Remember, I'm a dirty, filthy piece of trash in a dumpster, except I have a mouth. That little nasty toenail that's on the floor that didn't, you know, the broom missed. That's who I am, except I have a mouth. Somebody says that to me, and immediately I look at their life. I look at their marriage. I look at their kids. I look at their witness. I look at their business practices. I look at, you know, what are their taxes like? How do they do their taxes? I look at their demeanor, their behavior, the speech of their mouth. And this guy tells me, hey, Jay, I'm going to impart wisdom unto you. I'm going to give you some counsel. Can you sit here next to me? And then he started to speak these things to me. He started to say certain things to me. And the whole time I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to be rich. Let me hear it. I didn't say that. You know, I was just like, okay, yeah. And it went in one ear and out the other. I didn't permit his words to go into my heart. You say, man, that sounds kind of prideful. No, I, you know what? I don't accept that kind of count. I don't accept counsel from stupid people. You know, it's fools that seek the counsel of fools. I can't, you know, sometimes people say, you know, I talk to somebody and they say, I'm going to do this. This is the decision I'm going to make in my life. This is the decision I'm going to make for my family. And then, okay, who told you to do that? You know, that's why. Who told you to do that? Oh, this person, this guy is on TV. This person. And I, I don't mean to like be mean, but I kind of want to chuckle when that happens. Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, I'm sure. Can I tell you something against that? Okay, tell me what. Tell, tell me what it is. Okay, here's my thought on the matter. No, 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 I'm going to do this anyway. Okay, all right. And I can't tell you how many times these people come back. And I, I, I know that sounds boastful. But I speak as a fool in saying these things. Fools seek the counsel of fools. Unbeknownst to me, I found out, you know, as this guy was speaking. I asked him, you know, he says, you know, let me, I'm going to impart some wisdom unto you. Let me give you some counsel. And I asked him point blank. Where did you hear this? Where did you hear this from? Who told you this? He wouldn't tell me. And then I threw a name out. Is this the guy who told you that? And he said, yes. I knew it. An elder of another fellowship. A fool, biblically disqualified. I don't say this pridefully. I know it sounds that way. Here he goes again. I don't, if I come off that way, forgive me. Put it like, put all the blame on me. Take the blame away from the Lord. Put it all on me. But you know what? It's, that's what the Bible teaches. 
We're living in a day and age of stupidity. Where, you know, people are calling good, evil, and evil good. And there's rampant, rampant deception happening inside the church. Remember, in or- the only people, and I've said this before, but the only people who will be able to identify the Antichrist are the Christians. The Christians who adhere to sound doctrine. Those are the only ones who will be protected in our minds. And in our hearts, you say, you know what? This guy is the Antichrist and people will hate you. Because this is a man of peace. He comes to bring peace. Look, this the Jews in Israel, they were sacrificing animals and he caused the sacrifice to cease. He said, no more. You don't have to kill animals anymore. See, he loves wildlife. He loves nature. You see how awesome this guy is? And it's like, that's what's so beautiful about this wisdom that emanates from the word of God, not wisdom in the world. And the apostles say, choose guys like this that we can ordain over this business. So, you know, this need arises in the church. It's not to say, hey, you crackhead, go and serve at the tables. It's to say, no, I need to find who has a good witness, who is full of the Holy Spirit, and who has wisdom that can be ordained to serve in these tables. You see, all these ministry opportunities using this, you know, this three-ingredient recipe of righteousness, beautiful so what do they do what do they do they're committed to their calling in verse 4 but we will give ourselves continually translates as to adhere to in diligence in earnest and in perseverance we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word These 12 men, they know their task, they know their role, they know their calling, and they're staying in their lane. They know exactly what the Lord wants them to do. And in obedience to Him, they're doing just that. They're not saying, you know, they're not saying, oh, you know, it's not desirable, it's not fitting that I should go and serve tables. They're not saying it like an elitist. They're saying, you know, the Lord called me to be a voltage regulator. The Lord called me to be an alternator. That's what the Lord wants me to do, and that's what I'll do. What is the Lord calling you to do? It's not to say, oh, I'm going to be a crackhead, and the Lord called me to be a pastor. No, 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 no. Test the spirit. That's not the voice of the Lord. That's what Satan desires because he wants to take you to hell and all these people that you can influence, he wants to take them to hell too. He's a fisherman and you bought it. You took the bait. You took the bait. Oh, foolish one. You took the bait. Repent. You're going that way and you know what? You come over here with me. It's like the little... Put some of the uh, grain in your hand. You know, you come over here with me. You come over here with me. You take a couple steps. 
You come over here with me. And you say that as you're standing firmly on the rock of salvation. Not being tossed to and fro by all kinds of various doctrines. That's what you see in the world today, inside the church. People tossed to and fro by all kinds of various doctrines. Oh, this guy's the number one bestseller this week, so I'm going to read what he has to say. And then they're tossed to and fro by various doctrines. Oh, this guy's, you know, on the top 10 bestsellers list, so I'm going to read what he has to say. More tossed to and fro. You see it. You don't need me to explain these things. That's what's so cool about the last days. People put their their staff firmly on these false doctrines, and what do you see? A mess. But then you see the ones who put their staffs firmly on the rock of salvation in the holy word of God, and what do you see? Peace, still waters, and green pastures. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and the saying please the whole multitude. See, see, more unity of mind, unity of spirit. They're one body. And they chose Stephen. This is, I'm so in love with Stephen. My heart just, it breaks for Stephen and it yearns for Stephen. As much as my heart yearns for the Lord, my heart yearns for Stephen. I can't wait to see this man. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. It's translated as replete it's like completely full. You take like a glass and you, you, know, you pour it to the top and it's at the brim and one more drop and it's going to spill over. That's who Stephen was. He was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. This is kind of interesting too. Nicholas, you know, in a, a, a little side note as a refresher course, because I know we studied this. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, and then also in verse 15, the Bible, it reveals that God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. That's who this Nicholas guy is. This Nicholas guy, he started out pure. He started out righteous. He started out with good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But something happened along the way. Remember, it's revealed here that he's a proselyte from Antioch. What is a proselyte? A new believer. A new believer. What does Paul tell young? Pastor Paul tell young Pastor Timothy. In chapter 3, verse 6 of 1 Timothy, he says, A new believer can be puffed up with pride and fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Nicholas was a new believer. He started out awesome. But something happened along the way. It's kind of interesting because in Revelation chapter 2, you read the entire chapter and there's a lot of things to say about money. And here he is dealing with money. Be very, very careful with money. The promises of riches. Because it, it's, it can suck a lot of people away from the Lord. Just as it did to this guy, Nicholas, who started out with good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But then you get to Revelation chapter 2 and the Lord is saying, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Adherence to what Nicholas had to say. And he tells the church, 
repent. He was a new believer. And the Bible teaches, don't choose a new believer. Choose somebody who is seasoned. And not just seasoned, not just somebody who faithfully comes to church. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing to faithfully, faithfully come to church when you're taught the word of God. But who is the one who has a good witness, a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, the wisdom that emanates from the word? So they take these seven men in verse six. It's kind of interesting, too, you know, I know I speak a lot about once saved, always saved. Not in a a good light. But a lot of people come up with this idea, this concept. Oh, once saved, always saved. Look at Nicholas. Didn't turn out so well for him. It started out wonderfully for Nicholas. But it didn't end so well for him. What about you and what about me? You say, oh, that doesn't sound right. That's not what this guy says. That's not what this guy says. But you know what? It's what the Bible says. And I say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Who is it? I mean, picture a guy getting on his knee and saying, you know, will you marry me? And then, you, you know, she says, yes, they got, they're going to get married. And then say, for example, the woman starts cheating on him. It starts being with this guy, 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 this guy. Oh, everybody. And I don't mean to sound crass in saying it like this. But who in the world wants a wife like that? What guy, you know, what guy wants a bride like that? You know what? It's it comes time for the wedding day. The guy finds out, says, no, it's not happening. We're not getting married. Give my ring back, you know, I got to make a return. Give it back. I'm not marrying you. What about when the Lord comes back? The unfaithful church. The one who is with all kinds of various doctrines. Remember, there is a mother of harlots. You read Revelation, there is a mother of harlots. You say, it's not just to say she's a harlot. She's a mother of harlots. Which means she has kids. What are those Protestant churches that are going to return to this mother? In disobedience and in infidelity to the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, the Bridegroom. He's going to come back. I'm not marrying you. I don't even want to get married to you. I want a faithful bride. The same way any man would want a faithful bride. Before they get married, they want a faithful... I don't know, what do you call the woman before they get married? I I don't know. The faithful uh, girl. (laughs) That's what you want. Why? If that's in the carnal sense, in the worldly sense, how much more in the heavenly sense? And so look what happens with these seven men. They say, 
you know, choose for yourself from among you seven men. And so they take these men and in verse six says, whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread. So you remember when they said, hey, you guys, it's not desirable that we should serve at tables. So say, for example, these guys who were teachers and preachers of the way. If instead of spending two hours teaching and preaching, they spent two hours at the table. Instead of spending five hours teaching and preaching, going house to house. They spent five hours at the tables distributing funds to the, the, the Hellenists, the widows. It's not to say that this work isn't a beautiful thing. You know, serving at tables is a beautiful thing. But because these apostles know their lane, they know their calling. They're able to say, you know what? It's not desirable that I spend five hours over here. It's desirable that I spend five hours over here. Because that's where the Lord called me. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. And he is the one who says, hey, you know what? I've done this work in you. And now I'm going to use you for this. He speaks to another person. Now I'm going to use you for this. I've done this work in you. And now I'm going to use you for this. All for his glory. It's not to say, you know, I, I, I want to do good in my community. So I'm going to be in this ministry. No, it's not. It's to wait on the Lord. And people say, oh, yeah, you know, the Lord is calling me to be a pastor. So I'm going to be a pastor. And it's like, wait a second. You're still on your crack pipe. You can't do that. The Lord needs to do the work inside of you. And then he's going to do the work through you. It's kind of easy. I don't mean to sound mean in saying that, but it's kind of easy. It's kind of laid out plainly. I shouldn't say it's kind of laid out plainly. It is laid out plainly. It is laid out plainly. These 12 men are able to focus on their task and their calling in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You say, wait a second, what do you mean priests? Priests were being saved. Remember, to the Jew first, priests were being saved. In verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power. You see, there are more attributes to this Stephen guy who I'm so in love with. More attributes to this Stephen. He's of good reputation. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He has wisdom. He has faith. And here he says in verse 8, he also has power. What a guy. It's like. This is so beautiful. You know, to take a, a, a girl, say a 10-year-old girl, and they look like, well, you know, I like this guy, you know, and then they become 15. Oh, yeah, I like this guy. Then they become 18. It's like, I like this guy. You know, he's all chiseled. His body looks like this. He dresses like a rock star. Look at his hair. He does all these things. Yeah, he's worldly handsome. But what about a godly 10-year-old, a godly 15-year-old, a godly 18-year-old to say, no, I know that that's what the world says is beautiful, but look at this beautiful man named Stephen. 
Look how beautiful this man is. And this little 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old can start to desire these things. Wow, I want a godly man like Stephen. Hey, he's kind of chubby, you know. Yeah, he's not chiseled like this guy over here. But I'm so in love with this guy. The same thing with the boy, a little 10-year-old boy becomes 15, becomes 20. And what the world says, oh, you know, little guy, this is what beauty looks like. Get a wife that looks like this. Get a wife that looks like this and that and this and that. And you know what? Take off the makeup. Take off the makeup. You know, you say it's kind of a, I feel sad for guys, you know. It's like, wow, you know, they go on dates, all this makeup, the hair is done. You got another date. Wow, all this makeup, eyelashes even, everything's faux, everything's fake. And they get married, and they got to wake up in the morning. You wake up in the morning, surprise. But no, what happens when you fall in love with righteousness? Oh, man, look, it's so beautiful. That's why I love these people so much. Deborah, Esther, Stephen, Peter, all these men, all these women. It's like, this is desirable. You see how beautiful this righteousness is? And to take a young heart and it's like, wow, let me show you. This is what was so beautiful. So this 18-year-old girl, oh yeah, this guy asked me for a date, but I told him to go fly a kite. You know why? Because he doesn't remind me of Stephen. He doesn't remind me of Samuel. And then she prays, Lord, I know you're my husband, but you know what? In this world, if you should give, so give me a husband, oh Lord, let him be a godly man. Let him be like this. And then a man can say the same thing. You know, Lord, you know, all these girls are giving me their phone number. And yeah, you know, she looks like this. Yeah, she looks like that. All these girls, they're throwing their phone numbers at me. They want to do this. I'm getting text messages. I'm getting hit up like my phone's blowing up like crazy. But Lord, I don't even want that garbage. I want like Lydia. We're going to read about Lydia pretty soon. Deborah, Esther, Ruth. I want, I want somebody whose heart is yours. Despite what the world has to say. So you have this guy, Stephen. Full of faith and power who did great wonders and signs among the people. You see, people today, they say, oh, that was for that dispensation. The great wonders and signs. That was for that time period. It's not for today. Where does the Bible say that? Where are the Stevens? Where are these men? That's what I want to know. Where are these men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom, of faith, and of power? Where are they? And you have a pastor. Oh, that was for that dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. I don't know. I read Revelation and I see the Holy Spirit still doing things. The Holy Spirit is still at work in Revelation. And you know what? Revelation, like the, the fullness of Revelation hasn't even happened yet. So where does this guy get off saying, 
that it was for that dispensation. The problem is him. Then there arose some more opposition. You know, the Holy Spirit is moving. God is moving. You know, people are, you know, the number of disciples is multiplying greatly. And then more opposition. In verse 9, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and, and those from uh, Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. This is opposition now to one man. Opposition that is coming upon Stephen. It's like the uh, 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 um, converging of the world against Stephen. And I love verse 10. If you have your Bibles, highlight verse 10. And they were not able to resist or oppose the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. You see, Stephen is thoroughly equipped. It's a promise of our Lord. You know, when you're in the word of God, you're thoroughly equipped for every good work. And here you're seeing it and fulfilled right here. Stephen is fully equipped, thoroughly equipped. The same way you are thoroughly equipped. It's applicable to believers today. It's applicable to believers today who obey. No one can oppose you. It's not to say, wow, you know, look, no one can oppose me. It's not to say it like that. It's not to say, hey, no one can oppose, you know, your brand of faith. It's nothing like that at all. But there are attributes of righteousness that the world cannot understand and the world cannot oppose. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit. So look what happens here in verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They're, they start to invoke lies. Really, literally translates as collusion. Lies. They can't stand up to the wisdom. They can't stand up to the working of the Holy Spirit. So what do they do? They make up lies about Stephen. We can't say this against Stephen. So you know what? We heard him say these blasphemous things against Moses and God. Look what they also did in verse 12. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him and brought him to the council. I have to tell you, when I was a young believer, I was so furious at these verses. And I was mad at the church. Where, where are the other people in the church? Where are the six other guys? Why didn't they come and help Stephen? Why didn't they come and link shields with Stephen and like straight up fight these guys, beat them up? But then now as like, a, you know, I've matured, I, I've fallen more in love with Stephen and I understand it now. The weapons of his warfare are not carnal. It's not about, yeah, this opposition, so I'm going to knock him out. He's a big guy, so I'm going to shoot him. He's a big guy. Man, this guy's a huge guy, so I'm going to stab him. No, it's like the weapons of warfare are not carnal. And as I've matured, I've fallen in love with Stephen even more so. And the lies that they were saying against him. We heard him speak blasphemy. So they brought him to the council. 
Look what they also did in verse 13. They also set up. They also appointed is how that translates. It's very interesting because the wicked appoints the wicked. The godly appoint the godly. They also set up false witnesses, more liars, who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, against this holy place and the law. So there was just lies. He speaks, he speaks blasphemies against Moses, against God, against the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. These accusations... They start to mount more and more accusations from these, this multitude of liars. And you know what I love so much about Stephen? I mean, he doesn't fight. He doesn't fight with his fists. He doesn't pull out a weapon and start, you know, because the weapons of his warfare are not carnal. In verse 15... I would say in closing, but there's a couple more verses after this. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfast at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. You start to see a picture of God being with them. When you put on your special goggles, the eyes of righteousness. Remember, in, you haven't really studied Daniel to the extent of what we do other books that we go through. But in Daniel, remember Nebuchadnezzar when he takes Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego and he throws them in the fire. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's expecting to smell like barbecue. I don't hear burning flesh. I don't hear screaming. I don't smell the sense of burning flesh. What's happening? And he goes and looks in and he says, I thought I put three people in here, but I see four. And one is like the Son of God, a theophany. Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And the Lord will always be with you too in these hardships. The same thing happens here. All who sat in the council looking steadfast at him saw his face as the face of an angel. You see, the Lord is with Stephen. Even in the face of this opposition, this multitude of liars. He's speaking blasphemy. No, he's speaking truth. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7 really quick. Acts chapter 7. Almost done. In Acts chapter 7 verse... I know this is bad to do, but we're going to read to the end of this event. Look at verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying... Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. They killed him. This beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. That the more I even think about his countenance, his, I mean, it makes me fall in love with the Lord. Because it's the work of the Lord into the heart of Stephen. But it's like, wow, what a design. I mean, if I had a daughter and she tells me, hey, Jay, or, or you know, hey, Pops, you know. 
this guy, you know, he wants to, to date or, you know, he wants to, you know, enter into courtship for marriage. And my whole life in church, I've been watching this young guy named Stephen. And he's been, you know, a godly, godly young boy. A godly, godly teenager where the world, you know, his friends, they go out and do these things. I see them on their phone. I see them talk to certain girls. The girls with their fake eyelashes, they wear the cake on the makeup. And they do all these things. And then I had a daughter who says, it pops. You know, Stephen wants to, or maybe Stephen would come to me. Hey, you know, uh, you know, Jay, I want to. Court your daughter. Here, you know. I've poured into her my whole life. My whole entire life since she was a baby. I've poured into her. She's like my pride and joy. Yes, you know, you can date my daughter. You can enter courtship. But no, it's people don't do that. People, it's carnal. It's the world coming into the church. And, you know, because, you know, I'm the pops, you know, I have to set the standard. You know, Joe Schmuckatelli says, you know, hey, girl, I want to date you. Let's go out on a date, you know. I'll show you a good time. My daughter's like, no way, you're a freak show. Get out of here. My dad's going to kill you, you know. And it's like, wow, it's so beautiful. That's what I mean to, you know, for to fall in love with righteousness. Because a young boy, a young girl could start to desire these things. But it cost Stephen his life. He, they killed him. You say, man, you know, why did we read chapter the end of chapter 7? I mean, you know, I want to see the buildup. But I'll tell you, the Lord already told us the buildup. Turn with me to John 15 really quick. John 15. John 15, verse 18. All red letters, what we're going to look at today. And this is what the, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior, our Master, what He tells the disciples before they became apostles in the upper room. He says in verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's not a strange thing when the world hates you. The same could be applied to Stephen. Stephen, it's not... Don't count it as a strange thing that the world hates you. Stephen, don't count it as a strange thing that they make up lies about you. And I could say the same for the fellowship today. Fur, Emily, Penny, Oliver. Don't count it as a strange thing when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when they call you a dummy. Remember, the Lord says in verse 20, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And how that translates is they will keep it when it applies to you. It's going to apply to the church. It's going to apply to the faithful bride in the last days.
But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. All these people are without excuse. These people who stoned Stephen, they're without excuse and they're subject to the second death. Woe to those who fall under the second death. In this life, they could be high on the hog. They could be the elitists. In the pride of life, they can say, you see, we won. But the first death is a piece of cake. It's the second death. That's the biggie. In closing, turn with me to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 16. More red letters, the words of our Lord. Chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, as this, he says this to the disciples before they become apostles, before they're empowered with the Holy Spirit. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. This is happening to Stephen, what we're reading in Acts. For my sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. This is where we're, Lord willing, this is what we're going to read next week. The fulfillment of this promise of our Lord. He's going to give Stephen the words to say. And I love it's, it's like a little dissertation of the entire word of God. What Stephen gives to this council of wicked who are making up lies about him. In fulfillment of this promise of the Lord. Gives him what he should speak. In verse two, in verse 20. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. You see, Stephen is about to be a vessel of our Lord. I mean, he's already a vessel of the Lord serving in tables. He's already a man full of, you know, a good witness, a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and power and wisdom. And the world hates it. The world can't stand it. They try to say, hey, Stephen, you know, they can't oppose Stephen because he has truth. He is fully equipped. I mean, have you ever seen a fully like a fully equipped cop? Maybe not even a cop, maybe a SWAT. Or like special forces, you see these guys who are fully equipped. They got weapons all over their bodies. Their whole body is a weapon. That's what happens to the Christian. To you and to me when we're fully equipped with the word of God and by the word of God. Fully equipped for every good work. The Lord calls you to teach. Fully equipped. The Lord calls you to preach. Fully equipped. The Lord calls you to serve at tables. Fully equipped. The Lord calls you over here, 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 whatever it is in his manifold grace, you're fully equipped. But what happens when those who are not fully equipped? When the world says, 
you know what? You know, you're so mean. We want you to do this. The man pleasers, they go and do it. But who are the God pleasers? Now in verse 21, now brother will deliver up brother to death. Brother will be betrayed. It's betrayal. Brother will deliver up brother to death. I'm all 100% about family unity. 100% family unity. A family that's not of this world. People say, you're so divisive. You're so divisive. And you know what? I'm very divisive. Because I advocate a different family. I'm just a messenger too. Our Lord is the one who says, do not think that I came to bring peace. He says it in the same chapter, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Can you imagine? In your own house, your enemies. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. These are the words of our Lord. But look what he says in verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. In the home, under your roof. The very people that you tuck in at night. The very people who, you know, put a spoon of food and put it into your mouth. The very people who gave birth to you. Those will be the betrayers. I'm 100% about family unity. A different family. The heirs of Abraham in accordance to the faith. Who has one who is set above all. Set at the right hand of our father. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's a personal choice. If you're at Thanksgiving dinner, a big family gathering. And you start to speak these things. You start to speak truth. You'll see verse 21 alive and well almost immediately. I don't say this to be like, you know, yeah, you know, be offensive to all these people. Your very nature, your very character, your very countenance is offensive to the world. But remember what our Lord said. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. A servant is not greater than his master. Look at what they did to our master. Look at what they're doing to Stephen. Look at what the Lord says in Matthew 10, verse 22. And you will be hated by all. We're seeing the fulfillment of that with Stephen. Whom they kill. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. I love, in closing, verse 27 of the same chapter. 
Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. I'll put this in other terms. In your intimacy with the Lord, your oneness with the Lord. Verse 27, whatever I tell you in intimacy. You have your one, your your intimate moments with the Lord where it's like no TV, you know, the kids are sleeping, put the kids asleep, you know, no TV, no phone, no whatever it is, no entertainment. You you know, you put all these authors, all these people have their stacks of books by all kinds of various authors being tossed to and fro by various doctrines. Throw all those things in the trash and you have your intimate time with the Lord. And the Lord speaks to you. In verse 27, that's what he's saying here. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. This, this are, we're going to see the fulfillment of this in the life of Stephen. A righteous, a beautiful, beautiful. Um, all these people that I'm so in love with. But then, you know, there's like certain few. It's like, well, Stephen's up there for me. I love him so much. He wasn't, wasn't even in ministry for very long. I don't know if he served at the tables for, you know, a couple days, maybe a couple weeks. You know, take that with a grain of salt because the book of Acts spans like 30 years. It's a long, I mean, if we were to read it chronologically, that'd be a long time. I mean, it covers a long time. Like almost like like the, like the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. And then you get to the end and it's like the, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It's a long period of time. So maybe he was serving at tables for a couple years. I don't know. But in the span of pages, it's not a long period of time. But look at the impact he's having for us 2,000 years later. Give or take a couple years. It's beautiful, beautiful man. You know, the world will hate you. But don't be surprised. We're going to end our study here and Lord willing.